Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So, you know, in our last few weeks here at the high school, as we are transitioning over to Henley, you know, I thought it wise uh, while we're making some pretty significant, you know, adjustments and improvements to our church in our move over to Henley, I thought, you know, why not take a few weeks and just ask a very simple question, which is, what is the church? What is this thing? And as I mentioned the last couple weeks, this I think is our third week looking at this. We're going to look at it for eight weeks. You know, as I mentioned last week and the week before, it's kind of strange that a bunch of people who do this thing called church are asking the question of what is it? You know, it's kind of like asking, you know, uh, someone who's been, you know, doing a certain job, you know, for 40 years, hey, what does it mean to be a mailman? Well, I've been doing it for 40 years. Why, why, why do I need to ask the question of what's a mailman? Because I've been doing it. I know exactly what it is. But I just think it's important for us to just take at least eight weeks and just examine from the Scriptures, what does it mean to be the church? Because we all have experiences, we all have traditions, we all have, you know, things that have shaped our idea of what church is, and some of them are probably great ideas. But let's be honest, some of them probably aren't great ideas. And so what we want to do is to just, instead of taking each person's idea of what church is, and let's just, you know, create, you know, a smorgasbord of ideas of what church is, let's just rewind back to when this thing got started and read what the apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit said the church is. And already we've seen some things that are kind of uncomfortable. We'll probably see something today that might be a little uncomfortable, something that we thought, wow, really? That's what it means to be the church? I had no idea because some of these things have just kind of gotten lost in the years of church history of the last 2,000 years. And so we're going through this letter called Ephesians. We are not going through it exhaustively. As I've said the last couple of weeks, we're leaving a lot of meat on the bone of Ephesians. We're just going through asking the question, what is the church? And then we're answering it with statements that say the church is, and then, you know, fill in the blank. The first week, there were seven of those, seven. The church is, seven things. And then last week, there were six. This week, there's four. By the time we get to the last Sunday, maybe there won't be any. I don't know. We're just working our way down and getting these things a little bit shorter. But the the letter we call Ephesians, you know, it's in your Bible, it's in the New Testament, is written by a guy named Paul. And he wrote this letter to try to explain to the Gentiles, people who were not Jews, they, they, were, they were foreign to this whole idea of God in the, in, in the first place. 
he was writing to them to clarify for them what this thing, the church, really is. Because there's a lot of confusion. You remember after Jesus ascended back into heaven, there was at least a decade, maybe even more, where this thing called the church was exclusively what? Starts with a J and ends with an ooish. There, there it is. It was exclusively Jewish. There were no Gentiles in this thing. But then all of a sudden, this was being, Gentiles were coming in. You know, a Gentile is just someone who's not a Jew. And so then there's all sorts of confusion of, you know, is the church Jewish? Is the church Gentile? What is this thing? And so Paul writes this letter that we call Ephesians, I think, to really explain what the church is is. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he talks about we, we Jews, we who were first to believe, we were predestined for this. We were ordained by God before the foundation of the earth to be this, but now you, you Gentiles who weren't a part of this at first, you now have come in and are believing, and it's now for you as well. And we'll see a little bit of that even now in chapter 3 today. But he's explaining what this is. And now that the Gentiles have come into it, the Gentiles have all of the promises, have inherited all the promises that were given to the Jews, spiritually speaking. And so Paul is praying for them. In fact, we'll read a prayer today of Paul of praying that the Gentiles come to terms with what they actually have now because they've been brought into this thing that at one point was just Jewish but now it's a whole new thing. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to work through chapter 3. We're asking the question, what is the church? There'll be four answers today. Verse 1, Paul says, For this reason, I, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And we're going to stop right there because we're this the first 11 verses of chapter 3 is one sentence. And it's impossible for us as English-speaking folk to process this thing because there's going to be periods, there's going to be, you know, commas and stuff. There's, it's a bunch of sentences in English, but when we read it in the Greek, it's one long sentence. And so I'm going to say the whole sentence to you as a single sentence. And then verse 2 through verse 10 is this middle part of the sentence. And it'll make sense in a second. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, I ask that you not lose heart on my behalf because of my tribulations. That's verse 13. So he starts the beginning of the sentence in verse 1, and he ends the sentence in verse 13. And the rest is one long explanation of what he's been doing. It's a very weird sentence. So he says, I, Paul, I want you to not lose heart because of what I'm facing. What is Paul facing? He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is writing this letter in chains in a Roman jail. Do you know that? Paul is in prison writing this letter where he is, as we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we'll see here in chapter 3, he's on cloud 9 talking about Jesus and talking about how faithful Jesus is and how awesome Jesus is. And Paul is sitting in prison. Man, I don't know about you, but if I like have a bad day because, you know, like the flowers out front kind of are wilting, like I'm like, man, come on, Jesus. Like, but he's in prison on cloud nine 
because of something that he believes with all his heart. Well, what is it? That's verse 2 through verse 12. Okay, I hope this makes sense. So verse 2 through verse 12 is this reason that Paul says, don't worry about me. For this reason, I'm a prisoner, but don't worry about me because of look at what I'm a part of. And that's what we see here in verse 2 through 12. It's this big picture, this big picture that has captivated Paul's attention in Paul's life that not even prison can get him down. Not even prison can get him discouraged. So what is it? What is this thing that he wants us to see that he is clearly seeing? Let's don't delay. Verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote about before. So there's this stewardship. There's this way in which God is now working called grace. All of the Jews were very familiar with the way in which God did work in the Old Covenant called law. But Paul is saying there's a new stewardship. There's a new way in which God is working, a new covenant, and it's called grace. And he calls it a mystery. He says, you know, we didn't know about this before Christ came. We didn't know about this in the Old Testament. There were hints of it. There were pieces. You guys like a good mystery? April will pick some sort of crazy movie last night to watch. You know, I didn't make it through because that was crazy. But, you know, like one, of the, one of my favorite movies when it comes to mystery is The Sixth Sense. You guys remember that with uh, Bruce Willis, right? Throughout the movie, there's little hints, there's little pieces. Unless you, like, pick up on things a whole lot better than I do, and you probably do, it wasn't until the very end that I realized that Bruce Willis was dead, right? The whole time. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that if you haven't seen it and you're, it's on your, like, it's in your playlist, you know, to play next week. Sorry. But he... He's dead the whole time. Now, when you get to the end and you see he's dead, I think it even flashes back to a bunch of other things where it shows that there were little hints, little pieces, little hints, and it all is like, oh, yeah. How did I not realize that he was not dead the whole It makes perfect sense at the end. But going through it, you're clueless to it. That's a mystery. And I think that's exactly how Paul is describing this thing. There were hints all throughout the Old Covenant, all throughout the Old Testament, that this was so much bigger. This, there's a, there was a, a twist at the end coming, but we couldn't pick up on it. Here's an example. An example is when, uh, uh, I think it's Hosea. Hosea says, God says in Hosea, there's going to come a day when I'm going to call a people that are not my people, I'm going to call them what? My people. Remember when God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, you, in you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world. So there were hints that this was not just for the Jews, but no one could understand what this was really all about, that the grace of God was not just going to be for the Jews, but it was also going to go to the Gentiles. And so apparently God revealed this to Paul so that Paul could reveal to the world, the true heart of God. Verse 4, by referencing to this, this letter, when you read it, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations had not been made known to the sons of men. So he's going back, says, remember like Moses, all the guys who wrote the Old Testament, Zechariah, Haggai, you know, all these people, you know, they didn't, they didn't know, they didn't know what we know. Now, they had hints. They had pieces like we just mentioned, but they didn't know what we know now. And he says, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and to the prophets, now in the Spirit, now 
in the new covenant. It was a mystery, but now it's made known. So what is it? What really is the heart of this mystery? I just wish that Paul would be specific on what the mystery actually is. Well, look at verse 6. I love it. To be specific. (laughs) I love that. What is it, Paul? Well, to be specific, this is so cool. I don't know about you, but I'm a Gentile. Here's the mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That means everything that the Jews were inheriting, were to inherit from God in a spiritual sense, now the Gentiles are heirs to that, inheritors, fellow members of the body. Well, I was supposed to be only Jewish. Jesus in his entire ministry was to, you realize some of the things that Jesus said to Gentiles when he was ministering? He told a Gentile woman, he says, what right do you have to, to come to get what I have here for the Jews? That's not one of those coffee mug sort of statements of Jesus. He says, what do you, why, why are you, what are you coming to, to this for? And the woman said, you remember, he said, well, maybe even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Remember that? She's like, I just want to be a dog that eats off the floor. And Jesus, the faith of that Seraphonician woman, he says, wow, such faith I have not seen in all of Israel. So it was for the Jews, but now they're fellow members of this body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. This thing that everyone thought was just for the Jews, now the Gentiles, of which I, this is Paul talking, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's what? Grace. You wonder why we talk so much about the grace of God. It's because the grace of God is God's means, his method for changing people's lives. We'll talk more about that in a second. I'll get ahead of myself. Which was given to me, this grace of God, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So again, we've seen this a little bit in chapter one, a lot in chapter two, and now in chapter three, he's hammering this again, the mystery that was hidden. The reason why these these Ephesian Gentiles were getting kind of confused was because these Jews, these Jews said, this isn't for you. This has always been for just the Jews. And Paul is saying, yeah, it always was for the Jews, but all the way back, it was hidden, a mystery that one day this would come to the Gentiles. Like any good mystery, there were pieces There were parts. I already mentioned to you Genesis 12 with Abraham and Hosea 2. He said, those people who are not my people, they're going to be my people. But nobody knew fully what this was all about. In fact, even the, the apostles didn't know. The apostles, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I encourage you to go home and read Acts chapter 15. Read Acts chapter 15. These are the apostles. They're calling a special like business meeting to say, all right, Are we going to continue letting this message of Jesus go out to the Gentiles? So not even the apostles were really, at first, clued into this. Eventually, they were. So God had this plan of calling these Gentiles, these people who were not from the covenant. They were, not, they were never given the law. They were never given Ten Commandments. They were never given promises. They now were going to be invited into this, and they were going to be called the very people of God. And it's hard for us as Gentiles 2,000 years later to really like get our mind, you know, all up in arms about this. But imagine being a Jew who for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years, your whole existence was 
uh, this honor that God had picked you and your people to be his people. And now all of a sudden, without them obeying the law, without them doing all this work, without them, they're now just by faith are going to get our promises. Put yourself in their shoes a little bit. It was sort of offensive. Have you ever seen a video on YouTube or Facebook about a, a child, an only child, who, like a toddler, who is videoed by mom and dad, where mom and dad reveal to them that they've got another baby coming? You ever seen a video like that? Sometimes, some of you are like, I don't need a video. I live that. Um, sometimes those videos are pretty cute, you know, and the little toddler is like, oh, I'm going to be a big sister, you know, whatever. But have you seen the ones, you know what I'm talking about, where that, you know, only child gets the news that they're not the only child anymore, and they've been the center of attention for their, you know, whole three, four years of existence, and now you mean to tell me that I'm going to have to share? I'm going to have to share my mom and dad. I'm going to have to share my stuff. I'm going to have to, you know, consider someone else, and they get upset. You've seen these videos? And they, get, they throw a temper tantrum. They start crying because they're offended that they are not the center of attention anymore. I think that's a good picture of what the Jews were going through when all of the sudden you mean that we're not the only people of God? We're not the only possession? We're not the special people? This is actually now going to be inclusive of Gentiles? It was very difficult for many of them. It was a mystery. And in verse 8, Paul gets specific about his role in this. This is so powerful, and this is going to bring us to our first answer the church is. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, we'll come back, that's, that's a big deal right there, the very least of all saints, I, Paul, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. So this grace of God was given to Paul to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration or what is the unfolding or what is the coming to fruition of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So Paul is saying, here's my role. I am the least of all saints, and God gave me this gift of grace so that I could proclaim to everyone who will hear, namely the Gentiles, what this whole thing is all about. And here's our first answer of what is the church. The church is for everyone. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And you can, by the way, these notes are already in the Bible notes, Bible app. If you go to bibleapp.lifejourneyva.com, or you could just see them on the screen. But number one, the church is for everyone. What do I mean by that? Well, why do you think Paul calls himself the least of all saints? Is Paul just having one of those like super humble moments? You know, I, Paul, the most humblest guy that I've ever met. God was given this, this message of grace. You know, hi, I'm Walt. I'm the most humble man I've ever met. Is that what Paul is doing? Though I'm the least of all saints, this, this, this sort of superficial sort of humility all of a sudden of Paul, is that what he's doing? Maybe. I think it's something different. What was Paul's occupation before he was a believer, before he was a Christian? 
He persecuted the church. And one of the things in that job description of persecutor of the church as a Pharisee was his name. He was called, his, his Hebrew name was Saul. I heard that somewhere. He persecuted the church, imprisoning them, and even what? Killing them. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Paul, that's his Greek name, Saul, his Hebrew name, all right? His pedigree was that he was a murderer of Christians. And yet God said, you, I'm going to give grace to. The church is for everyone, even the murderers, even the ones that we think, oh, (laughs) they're too far. They're too far gone. They're sinners. Well, dead gummit, guys. I mean, if the church isn't for sinners to be made saints, then what is it for? The church is for everyone. You see, sometimes we meet in this thing called church on Sunday mornings, and we get sort of secluded from the reality of life. And then somebody moves in next door who is living a, a lifestyle that's not God-honoring. Maybe they're, they're, they're not married, or you know, maybe they're, they're struggling with some sort of you know, major sin or, or that we think is a major. And we think, oh, God, what is that who's just moved in next door? Well, listen to me. Do we not believe that apart from Christ, each one of us are dead in our sins? Who cares what the sin is? We're dead apart from Christ. The church is for everyone. Do you realize that the majority of the Bible, I can't say the majority, a big chunk of the Bible, the majority of the New Testament for sure, but a big chunk of the Bible was written by adulterous murderers. You don't believe me, do you? Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What did Moses do before he went off and met his future wife, and whose dad was named Jethro? I love that. Jethro, he's in the Bible. He murdered an Egyptian. A murderer brought down stone tablets that say, do not murder. What grace is there in that? How cool is that? David, you heard this guy? The man after God's own what? Heart. He not only committed adultery with a married woman impregnating her because he wanted her, though he could have any woman he wanted, any single woman he wanted. He then, once they found out the woman was pregnant, Bathsheba, he then murdered the husband so that he didn't look like a bad guy. An adulterous murderer, a man after God's own heart, who wrote the majority of the Psalms, The church is for everyone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you even are engaged in that you hate, that you don't want to do. The church is for everyone. And if we don't believe that, then, man, we're going to miss out on this great administration of grace where the grace of God has been extended to the entire world, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. I mean, think about the, Jew, the Jews' idea, and I've got to hurry on. I'm going to run out of time. I'm sorry. The last thought on this. Think about the Jews' idea of Gentiles. I mean, they were scum to the Jew. And the grace of God was going to the Gentile. Each one of us knows somebody who thinks, man, we judge. 
we think, man, they're just too far gone. They're, this isn't for them. This is, listen, if it's not for them, then it's not for me. And it's not for you. The church is for everyone. Paul, the least of all saints. Why? Because he used to kill them. The one who was killing Christians is now writing the revelation of God's grace to the Christians. It's amazing. The church is for everyone. Let's move on to verse 10. Now, why did God give this revelation to Paul? Verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be revealed, might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, I'm telling you, there's a lot of meat that we're going to have to leave on this, but just real quickly, anybody ever heard of a manifold? So you got one in your car. You got one in your shower. A manifold is something that takes a bunch of different inputs and it ends, it, it puts them together in a single output. So in your engine, you've got an exhaust, what? Manifold. So if you've got a V8, you've got four cylinders on this side, four cylinders on this side, and it collects the exhaust from the four cylinders, this manifold, and it merges them all into a single exhaust stream that goes out the back of the car, the tailpipe. Manifold. Think of Manny, M-A-N-Y, Manny, being folded together. That's a good way to think about it, manifold. What is the church? It is the bringing together of many people groups, not just Gentiles, but every single people group within Gentiles, but the Gentiles and the Jews coming together, being folded together, as Paul called it last chapter, chapter 2, into one new man. The manifold wisdom of God, this plan that God had from before he said, let there be, it was in God's mind. He's been planning it and like a superb mystery writer, he's been dropping little hints, but it's not until the cross and the resurrection and even a few years later when this thing started going out to the Gentiles that we now realize, oh my God, this has been for the world from the beginning. And now people of every tongue, of every tribe, of every people group are being folded together into one new man, the church. And so this church is revealing the manifold wisdom of God to someone. It says right here, to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I wish I had more time to talk about this, but we see the same phrase in chapter 6. We'll get to chapter 6 in a couple weeks. Let me just cut to the chase for time's sake. I think he's talking about the devil and his demons. Now, I could be wrong, okay? Jimmy, you might think of something else. That's, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's the devil and his demons. It could, be, it could be angels, you know, godly angels. It could be saints from the Old Testament. It could be a lot of different things. And a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions. But here's why I think it's the devil and the demons. Think about the devil and the demons. Think about their attitude after the garden. God had created the world. He created Adam and Eve. Everything was good, perfect. And then the devil tempted Adam and Eve with sin, and they ate of that fruit, and all of a sudden, the most prized possession of God, a people, were now incompatible with God. And after the garden, I just can imagine the devil and his demons high-fiving each other, celebrating with a conniving sort of, you know, chuckle. Look what we just did. We just beat God. I can see them taking that. This is just my mind. This is not in the scripture. I'm just giving my thought. 
I can see them taking that, let's say it's an apple, we don't know, that fruit, with these two bite marks, and I can see them turning that into like a, a trophy in hell. Can you see that? Look what we did. And this attitude of we ended God's people, Adam and Eve. Thousands of years pass. God says to a guy named Jacob, Jacob, from you, I am going to make a people that are my own people. And so of all the people groups, the probably, I don't know, millions of people on the planet at that point, God picks a single guy who has 12 sons, and those are his people, the Jews. Think of the devils and the demons' attitude after that. Okay, fine. <laughs> you can have that little measly people group called the Jews. There was, what, 70 of them when they went down to Egypt? Like, they can't even make their own food in their homeland. They got to go to Egypt to eat. Fine, you can have them, but look what we got. We got the Gentiles. We got everybody else in this entire planet. They're ours. A couple hundred years pass. The Son of God became flesh and died on a cross. Imagine the demon's celebration at that moment. We just killed the Son of God. We didn't even know there was a Son of God, and we killed him because it was hidden even from them. But then three days later, there was the resurrection of the Son of God. And all of the sudden, every single last chain, every single last ownership, every single last possession that these demons and the devil had over the entire world, including the Gentiles, was gone. And the manifold wisdom of God was being revealed to the demons. And now they are powerless. Now they are hopeless. Now they are helpless because of a resurrected Jesus who gives life to whomever, Jew or Gentile. You, the church, reveal the wisdom of God. I don't know, man, but that's just just cool. That's just cool to me. You, maybe you think you're the least of all saints because you murdered somebody and you were in an adulterous relationship at the time. You reveal the wisdom of God. We got to hustle, sorry. Verse 12. In whom, Christ, in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Move my clock out. Okay, gosh. All right. We have access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on my behalf, for therefore your glory. See, that's the end of that sentence. Remember that sentence that started off, you know, hey, I, you know, I Paul, don't, don't, don't worry about me because look at what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm making known the mystery of God that's been hidden, and he gave it to me to be known to you. And so who cares about these chains in this, in this Roman prison? Because I'm actually a part of something that's so big that people are being set free from a much bigger bondage, not chains to the Roman government, but the chains of sin and death. So what I want us to see three, what is the church? The church is for everybody. The church reveals the manifold wisdom of God. Number three, the church has unfettered access to God. This is huge, but this might step on our toes a little bit. What is it that gives us this access to God? 
faith. See that? Boldness and confident access through faith. In the old covenant, who had access to God? The one high priest, one time a year, right? And the tradition says that they tied a little rope around his ankle in case he had some unconfessed sin. He dropped dead. They pulled it out. That's not in the Bible. That's just tradition. But one man, one time a year, and he's saying that because of Jesus, you Gentiles who were not a people, you now have access full, unfettered to God. It's not our behavior. It's not our performance. It's not our fleshly pedigree. It's our faith. And, you know, it really comes down to to the fact that we have access to God because we are children of God. It is pedigree, but it's our spiritual pedigree now. We've been born of him. I'm sure you noticed even this morning that my son, you know, he wanted to be with dad. If you weren't here yet, when I came up earlier, my my son walked up and he just wanted me to hold him while I'm talking up here earlier. A little awkward perhaps, but my son had full access to dad. I would imagine that you would not feel comfortable just walking up and jumping in my arms. I'm just saying, you know. Come on, Steve, right? You know, we're bros, right? You know? I mean, that, or, or even your own kid. If your kid started walking up and wanted to jump in my arms, you know, you might think it's kind of cool, but you might be like, oh, get back out of here. Why? Because you nor your kids are not my kids. See the picture here. You are now a son or daughter of God. You have been forgiven of all your sin. You have full, unfettered access to the God of the universe. He's not waiting for you to jump through a hoop. He's not waiting for you to perform. We have a dog. He's a toy poodle. He does all these little tricks, even the one where you put the the, the treat on his nose and he just sits there, you know, for like ever until you say go, and then he gets the treat. He does all these tricks to get something. God's not waiting for you to do tricks to come into his presence. Because of Jesus, you have full access to God. And Paul wraps up, and this is our last little thing we're going to end with. He wraps up this chapter with a a prayer. He already prayed back in chapter 1 that they would have an attitude or a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. You see, these Gentiles, they were never a part of this inheritance. They were never a part of these promises, or so they thought. And so Paul is saying, oh, my God, please help them to see what they have. Help them to see what they now have because of your grace going to them. Now in chapter 3, he prays again. It's a little bit different prayer. He says, for this reason, verse 14, for this reason, what reason? This whole reason of this thing going to the Gentiles, this whole reason of I'm in chains, but it doesn't get me down because the church is for everybody. It was for me. It's for everybody. That we now have unfettered access to God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, not just Jewish families, but every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. We don't have time to get into that. That's the meat we have to leave here, but that's who you are, the new man, your new heart, so that, here's the purpose, we want you strengthened so that Christ may dwell richly, some translations say, in your heart through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. You know those Jewish ones? 
that, you, that they didn't think you're supposed to be in. They, you didn't think that you, it was confusion. But now it's all, all the saints, the Jew and the Gentile, so you may be comprehend, you may understand with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length. I love the length. He's been planning this thing out since before the foundation of the world. The length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now, that's a big statement. We're going to have to leave a lot of the meat there, but here's what I want us to see in our few minutes we have remaining. The church, number four, grows stronger as it comes to terms with the love of God. The church grows stronger as it comes to terms with what this love of God is really all about. Again, this is one like number three that might be hard for us to process because our religious minds are so trained to thinking of a different way. I was so religiously minded that it took, it's still taking me a lot of contemplation and prayer. This is why Paul's praying this to come to terms with what this is actually saying. You see, the trap is that we become stronger and stronger by doing really great things. When I was in high school, myself and a, and a guy who's a little bit older than me, we both wanted to become strong in the Lord. And so we met with each other every single week to try to become stronger in the Lord. And one of the ways in which we decided that we were going to become strong in the Lord was we read Psalm 119, verse 11, which says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. We didn't want to sin. We wanted to grow strong and not sin. And so our methodology was, well, it says to hide the word in the heart so we don't sin. So let's just memorize as much of the Bible as possible. And we started with Psalm 119. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of, you know, bottom shelf. Just memorize one little chapter. You ever read Psalm 119? It's 100 and what is it, 176 verses. And we did it because we wanted to hide God's word in our heart so that we wouldn't sin. Well, guess what kept happening? We kept sinning. Is God's word a liar? No. It's because we didn't understand where true strength comes. You see, strength doesn't come from us just memorizing verses. Paul is saying that the church is strengthened as we come to terms with what God's love really is. So we memorized it, and sin kept happening. So how does this work? It seems Paul is saying that Ephesians, the Ephesians would be strengthened by coming to terms with God's love for them. But how does that work? How does coming to terms with God's love end up strengthening the church? Well, here's my thought, and we're going to wrap up. Because coming to terms with God's love for us fills us to the point where we no longer need to look elsewhere to be filled. You know, why is sin so tantalizing? Sin, it makes promises. Sin makes, it promises fulfillment. Sin promises happiness. It promises satisfaction. But sin never 
delivers. There's this one-two punch when it comes to sin. The first punch is the sin itself, this tantalizing thing of the promises it makes, and then we give in and we do it. And then the second punch, we've all been there, is that guilt and that shame that comes in because we end up doing the same thing we hate doing. And so there's this one-two punch. So how does coming to terms with God's love strengthen us to resist temptation? Well, think about it. By the way, April, uh, Bill offered to take us to lunch today. So we're going to go to a big Chinese buffet or something. I love a Chinese buffet, and it's actually in my notes before you even said this. So a Chinese buffet. I love a Chinese buffet. Why? Because you can just get slammed full if you want. You don't have to. But you've been there to Chinese buffet, maybe Woods Grill, maybe Outback, wherever you want to go, and you get absolutely slammed full to the point where somebody walks in with, your favorite dessert, you know, Mayfield's, you know, cookie dough ice cream. And you, the very thing that you normally drool over all of a sudden is what? It's repulsive. It makes you nauseated. It's like, I don't want that. The very thing that you used to just drool over all of a sudden is no, has no, nothing to offer you. Why? Because you're already full to the brim of Mugu Gaipan or, you know, whatever. I think that's the exact same thing he's saying here. We are strengthened in our life, whether it's resisting sin, whether it's whatever it is, we're strengthened by coming to terms, by being filled with the absolute surpassing love of God. The very thing that used to be impossible to say no to, whatever sin it was, all of a sudden it's like, man, that that's nauseating to me. That's I don't want that because I am full of something that delivered the very love of God. You know, when I, do, when I talk with people who have been either caught in sin or, you know, they've come to me and say, man, I just am I, I'm, I'm engaged in this sin, whatever. You know, the first thing I should tell them about is the love of God. And I remind them of how much God loves them, about how much God has forgiven them, because it's by being filled with the fullness of God's love for us that the things that used to be so tantalizing have no room now because we're full. And he wraps up the chapter by saying, Now to him who is able to do abundantly, exceedingly far beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, What is the church? At the end of the day, as our little logo shows when we have the logo screen up, it says, you are the church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the called out ones. You are the church. And so that means that you, whether you realize it or not, Brandon, you're actually for everybody because the church is for everybody. That means you are actually for everybody. Now, you might not think that way. I I know I struggle with it, but we are actually for everybody everyone. Because if the church isn't a place where the lost become saved, the dead become alive, then I I don't really want to be a part of it myself. You are actually for everyone. Everyone to come and to hear this amazing news. You actually reveal the wisdom of God. You know, the devil and his demons might be walking around heaven with that apple, you know, little trophy thing. But what they don't realize, what they do now, is that the, the wisdom of God is being shown through you. You actually, whether you realize it or not, 
revealed how wise God is. You have unfettered access to God. Nothing, nothing. What could possibly, participation, what could possibly limit your access to God? What? Starts with an S. Sin. Sin. What did Jesus take away on the cross? Let's do the math. So you have unfettered access to God. So don't think you've got to jump through hoops. Don't think you've got to do this, do that. You have unfettered access to the God of the universe. He lives in you. And you, you become stronger and stronger as you come to terms with the love of God. As his love fills you, all these other things become the things that were so tempting, so tantal. I mean, we're talking about Mayfield chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream becomes now like whatever. Ugh. Because we're filled with something that lasts. Our band's going to come up. We're going to close out with a song that is so appropriate, just titled, This Is Who I Am. You know, if we don't believe who we are, it's going to be really, really hard to do what we are. We are the church. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Hopefully some of what we looked through, I know your scripture certainly makes sense, but hopefully as we try to unpack it a little bit to answer this question of what is the church as we move down the road across the street to Henley and just reevaluate of, of, of who are we? What is a church? What does it mean to be a church? Father, help us to see these things, to, to believe these things. We know we have a lot of our family, a church family out today because of summer and Father's Day, but God, these are here for a reason. And I just pray, Father, you'd open our eyes. Open our eyes, God, as Paul just prayed, fill us with the reality of your love, the height, the breadth, the width, the impossible, real, the impossible to understand, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Help us to be mesmerized, to be filled with this love, because in so doing, we, we find the things of this world that were so tantalizing. We find them find them empty. We find them repulsive even in comparison to you. Father, help us to be a church here that spreads your fame to our neighbors and to the nations, lifting high the name of Jesus, but we've got to believe who we actually are. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.